0: Welcome, football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lythra. Hello, football fans. This is episode 70, 2023, week four recap, week five preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. We have reached the halfway point of the XFL season. As per usual, we have several league developments to cover, and contributor Mark Hallbach returns to review week five and preview week six matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So let's get to it. On March 16th, the Seattle Sea Dragons hosted the Houston Roughnecks. The Sea Dragons defeated the Roughnecks 21 to 14. Then, on March 18th, the St. Louis Battlehawks hosted the DC Defenders. The Defenders defeated the Battlehawks 28 to 20. Also on March 18th, the Vegas Vipers hosted the Orlando Guardians. The Vipers defeated the Guardians 35 to 32. Then, on March 19th, the San Antonio Brahmas hosted the Arlington Renegades. The Renegades defeated the Brahmas 12-10. to 10. Then on March 20th, the XFL announced the league named American National Combines as the official regional combines partner. American National Combines will expand the XFL's year-round scouting efforts, allowing the league to identify more high-quality, talented players to continuously build its elite football forum. XFL scouting personnel will be attending all 2023 American National Combines. April 16th in Houston. April 22nd in Los Angeles. May 6th in Washington, D.C. May 14th in Chicago. May 21st in Atlanta. May 27th in St. Louis. Then on March 23rd, the XFL Communications Department announced a trade between the Houston Roughnecks and the San Antonio Brahmas. The Roughnecks received linebacker Drew Lewis. The Brahmas received quarterback Kurt Benkert. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be rejoined by contributor Mark Hallbach to review the Week 5 games and preview the Week 6 matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I once again appreciate you returning to the show to uh, discuss these Week 5 games and hopefully, as usual, we'll dig into a preview for the Week 6 matchups.
1: Well, Michael, we're halfway through the season, and uh, it's been a good time. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to discussing Week Five here, and then also previewing Week Six. So, yeah, let's uh, let's get to it.
0: Kicking things off with the Week Five, we will look at Game One: the Houston Roughnecks at the Seattle Sea Dragons, with the Sea Dragons winning 21 to 14. Seattle ended. The roughnecks obviously unbeaten streak, which, if you want to pair them together from 2020 to you know 3.0, um, it, it was a, a good run, what nine games, but more importantly, the Sea Dragons are coming alive at perhaps the right moment, as we've talked about. You know, if you are going to get hot, get hot late, and I am not saying it's hot late, but this is hot mid season, so this is probably the right time to get going. This victory has placed themselves back into the playoff mix, which they weren't completely out of initially. But what are your takeaways here from this Thursday late night game that everyone's probably still recovering from?
1: Yeah, it was a it was a rough week with the schedule. I'll I'll tell you that. But, uh, you know, getting all the games in. But this one was uh, very interesting. As we get to the halfway point, where you need to start getting hot, if you're not. So, but uh, this game was—you got to credit Seattle's defense on this one. They came to play. I think maybe they were a little sick of hearing the narrative of AJ Smith and and Brandon Silver's a little bit, and wanted to show that hey, they're a good defense out there, and we can stop them. And they were able to. I mean, they they bothered Brandon Silver's you know, all game, they kind of made him uncomfortable there and Brandon just wasn't able to push the ball downfield. And like I mentioned before, defenses are keeping things in front of them a little bit more, right? And not allowing those explosive plays. So if you think, you know, the quarterbacks are having a little bit more difficult time, well, it's because defenses are kind of making sure that they can't get those big plays off as much. Now, What that does open up, though, is it does open up the running game, which we'll talk about probably later. But, you know, the only bad thing that was really happening for Seattle this night was the fact that Ben DiNucci threw three interceptions. And if he continues to play that way, they might be a playoff team, but they're probably not going to be a championship team. So I know some of that seemed to be, um, you know, he was getting on some receivers a little bit uh, maybe not completing their routes or not seeing the same thing that he was seeing and adjusting their routes. So, but at the same time, you know what I like to see about Ben though, is that he's standing back there and, and throwing the ball. He's not nervous. He's not jittery. He's back on it with confidence and he feels he can make every throw through some things. Now that's going to get you in trouble, but it's also going to make a lot of big plays, you know? So, I mean, they really didn't have all that much offensively when you, when you go to it uh, they turned the ball over four times. So that shows you what their defense did. Their defense was able to stop Houston on the, you know, on the sudden you know change situations. And that's a credit to them. I mean, that is uh, Jim Hazlitt and, and his defense coordinator really had them playing well and you can't ask for anything more. So they're really, you know, there really wasn't too much of a running game considering Danucci was the the leading rusher there. Um, I was a little surprised that they went to, they were going to Morgan Ellison a little late, but you know, maybe they were seeing some things and this is a team that has said that, that has shown they're going to throw the ball in any situation. You know, even when they're trying to run the clock out, they're going to throw it. They feel that that's their best, you know, bet for, for some things and the running game is there to keep, keep teams honest. And so basically you got to credit Seattle's defense when it comes to that. Now the Roughnecks, they made a game out of it late and really it shouldn't have even been this close. I mean, if Seattle, if Danucci doesn't turn the ball over as much, Seattle's probably scoring a couple more times and this game gets away from, from Houston, which is okay. You played five games and you have one bad one, <laughs> you know, that's okay. You're, you you got to really find out, you know, And measure yourself up against some of the better teams you know but they just they couldn't get anything going rushing wise and and the front seven of of seattle and that defensive line just controlled the game is is kind of the way i I want to put it so i mean really it's not devastating to houston right you lose a game okay it's losing back-to-back games that is that is that can kill a season right or or losing you know back to back to back games like some people have already, you know, but I don't think they're in trouble any which way. they'll you know we'll have to see this week Uh they got another tough game coming up. but uh, you know, looking at it, it, it Seattle's defense was the story of the night. and if Danucci can cut down his his turnovers, then they are there they'll be a championship level team and and very you know will push for a playoff spot you yeah. I mean they were one of the higher ranked teams coming in, and I think it just took a little bit to get their footing and I think they do now I think they've got it and they know uh what they're doing so good to see though um you know some some parity in the league you know um and I think this was almost a must win for Seattle to kind of make sure that they're keep pace into the, you know, over 500 and, you know, keep pace with the battle Hawks.
0: Well, what's interesting is I saw a little bit on, you know, social media. Of course, you're going to see all sorts of things. So it depends on what you're seeing in your own thread and whatnot. But I saw, you know, a lot of people have been clamoring about how the North division is just the stronger division and how the South division is the weaker division. And then how they start looking at the matchups for the inner division games. And obviously Houston was undefeated going into this game, but when you look at their sample size of games, it was only against divisional opponents. And we start looking at now how some of these games are starting to come about aside from the Renegades beating the Vipers in game one of week one. It really hasn't gone well for the South. And now again, small sample sizes we will take it for what it's worth, but it kind of, now it kind of comes out. Maybe Houston's not as good as they are. Well, hold on, people. Let's 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 start to tap the brakes here a little bit. Again, small sample sizes that was a rough trip for anybody. And you know, maybe Seattle gets a little bit of an uplift, you know, from their crowd, regardless. You know, they're not obviously pulling 35,000, 38,000, but you know, maybe just being at home in front of your own fans that kind of helps, regardless if you have three uh, interceptions or four turnovers. So it it comes a point like let's not hang our hat on Houston is not as good as initially advertised or as first thought because I think that's a little disingenuous or uh, you know unfair. But let's just say that maybe the Dragons have been battle tested by a couple teams in in a way that you know maybe the Roughnecks haven't been. It's just it's not meaning that the Roughnecks are rough when you get two games against the Guardians maybe you did have it a little, you know, a little good for half of the games leading into the, you know, your matchup. So let's just be fair for what it is. Let's not make too many assumptions as to how good or bad teams are off the small sample size, which I guess is half the season now to be fair. But you no, know, I just wanted to get that in there. That's all your thoughts on those comments.
1: You know, it's, it's professional football. So, I mean, a, a 10 game, season is gonna be hard to go 10 and0 uh even if you have you know teams that are at the bottom they're they're still professionals that are playing coaching this game this isn't like college where you know you schedule two or three games against FCS opponents and you roll over them you know so your backups can play and you can load manage your your starters this is a and these are 51. 50, you know, 51 man rosters, you know, so there's people on and off and, but these are professional games. So, I mean, that's different than, you know, comparing it to, um, you know, levels of football. I mean, it's very hard to, to go 10 weeks and, and try and win. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a loss is a good thing because you kind of get to reset yourself. And you know, take a look and and be like, okay, we're not as good as we thought we were. Now our guys will you know probably work a little harder. Again, they're going to be tested again this week, so we'll we'll, we'll definitely see what what happens there.
0: Moving on to game two, we had the DC Defenders at the St. Louis Battle Hawks, with the Defenders winning twenty eight to twenty. Another fantastic showing from Kaka Nation. Uh, in my opinion, uh, in a solid game. But what a performance from Abram Smith. 218 yards on 23 carries and three touchdowns. Clearly the most valuable player of the game. But let's get the thoughts on the entire rematch here at the Battle Dome. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, it
1: was a tremendous game. And what was interesting to me about uh, Abram Smith was this. I feel like this was the first time we saw like Jordan Tamu go under center and they saw something. They, they felt they saw something and they loaded up the, the right hand side and they ran an outside zone or a wide zone and he hit a crease. And nobody's been able to run that play just because. You don't have really the offensive linemen to really be able to do that, and that's why you see a lot of the quick passing game to get to the outside a little bit more. But so they saw something there, and and me that was just unbelievable coaching. I think they ran the play twice in a row, and then he broke that off, and then he had a couple other ones too. And what was nice to see, and what's going to make him, you know, an NFL caliber running back is the fact that he pulled away from people when he was in the open field, okay? When I was scouting running backs or receivers, you know, you wanted to see how fast they were. Were they pulling away from people while they were running in the open field or were people catching up to them? He was able to pull away from people and change their angles a little bit on on those plays. Obviously, he made the unbelievable cut to make the one defender miss on the outside wide zone there at the second half. That was beautiful to see because what I, what I see in this league a little bit with the running back play, sometimes they're making their cuts too early. Um, when they're one-on-one with a defender, you want to get as close to the defender, a little coaching tip for anybody coaching their kids out there as a running back. You want to get as close to the defender as you can before you make your cut. So they can't react. That's exactly what Abram Smith did on the one play. And the other thing is, is he changed the angle by being able to outrun people. So I think, you know, Reggie Barlow's got it going there. Uh, Greg, you know, uh, Greg Williams is, you know, defense is, is playing well. They got beat on a couple of long, but we know that it's a, it's a, kind of a, a gambling risky defense sometimes. And AJ was able to make a couple throws to keep him in the game. Um, but really, D.C. seemed to really control the game, um, you know, and Abram Smith took over and they were able to do that because they were able to run the ball. Like I mentioned, defenses are playing a little deeper, right? Now, if Jordan Tom could hit a receiver when he's off schedule, right, out of rhythm play where he kind of got to get through the pocket, if he could hit a receiver, an open receiver, <laughs> they'd be dangerous. But that's the that's why he's not in the NFL. It's because he's throwing on, you know, he's leaving the pocket and he's got a wide open guy and he throws it and it's three foot feet over his head. Um, we saw a couple of those. He didn't have to do much because they were able to control it up front. And uh, like I said, I mean, it was great, you know, game planning by them and a great adjustment at halftime to go in and say, hey, let's ride this, let's ride Abram Smith and. Let's shorten this game, and they did that. And then, you know, obviously the Battle Hawks do what they do, you know, at the end of the game, you know, and uh, you know AJ kind of made an errant throw there at the end, just trying to make something happen. But you know, when you're trying to come back, sometimes that's going to happen too. So it's unfortunate, you know, because of the crowd, we all want St. Louis to do well, so that crowd keeps coming out to them. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. The only thing that's going to mess that up is a a you know nine o'clock Sunday game or something like that 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 they don't have, I don't think. I'm just kind of giving the XFL group. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's going to be fun to watch a preview coming up this week against the Roughnecks that could be a preview to a championship game. If there's one coach that could leave this level and may be on somebody's radar, if he does this for a couple of years and does well, Reggie Barlow could be an NFL coach he seems to have it going and he doesn't mind taking the back seat to his defensive coordinator who gets a little bit more of the, you know, the interviews and things like that. And Reggie is, I like his demeanor. Nothing's ever, you know, I had a, I worked for a head coach who I said, nothing's ever as bad as it seems and nothing's ever as good as, as it seems. And that's Reggie's kind of his attitude out there. He calm, collective, you know, knows his guys are coached up and, uh, you know, I think he's got a bright future if they keep continuing to play this way. You know, honestly, yeah, you know, a lot of things that could stop teams is, is an injury to the quarterback position. And this one, I mean, if they do, if let's if you know, knock on wood, I'm not saying it, but I don't think that hurts them as much. Uh, but let's see what happens because Houston's gonna come with, you know, a defensive line and a defensive presence this week, and we'll see if they can get that going. But yeah, just too much for the Battle Hawks to overcome. And, and uh, you know, we'll see how they bounce back as well in the, you know, in the north there and and see how that goes. But, you know, D.C. has the, you know, they're, they're in the driver's seat now.
0: It is interesting because, you know, week after week, we talk about with the running clock, about uh, moving the ball down the field, like pushing it down the field is important for a lot of these teams. But like how you just alluded to, an injury to the quarterback position could usually just end any team season in the National Football League, potentially even college football. But some of these teams are stacked in college football, so maybe not everybody. But the reality is usually that position is so important to any team's success. But when you look here, and it's not to take a shot at Tamu, not to take a shot at Derek King for what he's in the mix, or even Dungy that they're kind of working with, You know, in other aspects of the offense. But the reality is they are not approaching this in a way that you would typically have believed, whether it's you or anybody else. This is really surprising because I had made a comment, you know, an episode or two ago that what happens if Taamu ends up be catching his 2020 form and how dangerous the team could be. Well, you're right. They don't even need it right now. That's crazy to think that this team is as successful. As it is now, praise coach Barlow, but he was smart enough or fortunate enough, depending on how things work out, you know he maybe people try to get their first o c or first d c and it doesn't work out, and he maybe he ble- he was blessed to get the first people but he still chose his staff, and his staff is implementing the things that he obviously anticipated bringing in, so it's not like it just fell together. And you're right, he probably might be a one-year XFL coach or maybe two, depending on if NFL head coaches are. But he's got experience here, at coaching in Division One now XFL, having some success, and relying on those people and being a CEO, if you will, or whatever, and not getting in the way or just being involved. But he is. He's getting it done. And his team's doing it in a way that people probably Just couldn't fathom, right? Now, here we are. I was a little shocked with Abram Smith being the first overall pick in the XFL draft here in 2023. But the reality is, he's proven me wrong. And I'm not saying that I didn't think he was a solid player. I just didn't think he was going to be the first overall pick. I was looking for people more veteran, people that had actually proven it in the professional game. Well, it's fine. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. This guy has proven it. And who knows how the season plays out. You know, Injuries can happen and whatnot, but he's already proven it. If he stays healthy, heck, who runs for 218 yards and three touchdowns in a game? You just don't typically see that. So, you know, he's done it. And Barlow and company are proving people wrong and in what a lot of people think are the the toughest division. And they're even going in in front of 35,000 fans elsewhere on the road taking care of business. So, you know what? It's tough to bet against these guys. And I'm not a betting man, but this, it does seem to be the front runner. And you're right. We have a, another game we'll be talking about here in the previews in a short while, but w- you know, I, I'm, I'm good moving on from this game because uh, you know, it, it is a praise fest for the defenders and Abram Smith mainly. And, uh, but just to kind of touch on it again, turnovers can hurt you self-inflicted wounds. And that's essentially what is kind of, hindering the battle Hawks whether it's an interception whether there's a lost fumble there's just things that even a veteran quarterback like McCarron needs to actually kind of get under control and be a little bit and I, I'm not saying the defense like the defenders can't um, help force those but the reality is that's something if you want to succeed you know and uh, make the playoffs that's something they're gonna have to that's their uh, their kryptonite they're gonna have to figure out
1: and yeah they're, they're gonna have to clean those up as well Uh, You know, with the defenders, though, you know, offensively, we knew they were going to be an RPO type offense. We knew what they were going to be coming in. You know, we talked about it on the preview. I think adding Abram Smith, which, you know, there's an old theory of, of running about running backs that there's only so much so many carries in them. Right. There's only so much in the gas tank with running backs. And the reason because they get hit almost every play whether they're blocking or whether they're running the ball. It is one of the shortest tenured positions, uh, you know, in professional football. Well, Abram Smith, you know, he played basically one year at Baylor as running back as full time. So he's got some, he's still got some in the tank. A lot and,
0: of the tank you have to assume, right? A lot.
1: Right. But, you know, that number is different for every running back though, you know, right? Like we always said, you know, <laughs> that the great ones, you know, have a, are going to get that large number. I mean, um, you know, Frank Gore was different than, you know, Mon Green, you know what I mean? So the, those are different, but you know why it's the sh- shortest tenured, you know, positions cause they, they take a beating and um, but he hasn't uh, had that, you know, because he didn't, you know, a lot of times they'll play two, three years in college and get beat down then they get to the NFL and two, three years into that. So he's got some mileage left, which is a benefit to him is, is where I'm going there. And I think he'll, you know, we'll, we'll. I think he gets signed. Definitely. Will he make a roster at the next level? But we'll see, but he, he's shown that he can do that, that as long as his pass blocking is still there, he'll be fine. And I think he's got decent enough size to be able to, to take that on. So, um. but yeah, you know, it, we knew who they were going to be and they've shown that came out and true to themselves and not just an NFL job as, as well. There could be a big time college program that, that might be looking at Reggie Barlow and the XFL may lose them soon. You know, you know, credit to him on that.
0: Moving on to game three, the Orlando guardians at the Vegas Vipers with the Vipers winning 35 to 32 for this battle, the unbeatens, This was also a fantastic game. Not only was it competitive and high scoring, but it also had quality quarterback play, in my opinion. Luis Perez's performance was top-notch for the Vipers, and a surprise appearance and production from the once-cast-away Quentin Dormady was exactly what the Guardians needed to get themselves back into the game. Perez and Badette obviously have a great connection. And I have to also mention that Perez's understanding of the playbook and read of the defense is phenomenal because if you go back to that one moment when the Vipers OC did not hesitate to listen to Perez and go with his ideal play, it didn't just secure himself, you know, for that game moving forward. And we know that hunley has got, you know, an injury. So maybe that's what, but the reality is, did this play from Perez did what we saw from his understanding of the game? Do you think this has kind of secured him as QB1 moving forward for at least the short term?
1: Absolutely for the short term. I mean, you can't pull him out of a game after a game, you know, you can't not start him after a game like this. He for the short term, yes, he he is QB one for for Vegas. Uh, if, if this was a 16, 17 game season, I think you'd see him start a couple more games and then, and then you would see, um, Hunley come in, but you know, Perez, let's see what he does next week. Okay. Let's see if he's ascending or if this was, you know, Hey, you were playing the guardians again, you know, and everybody's put up points on the guardians, but. I'll tell you what, you're right. Luis understands the playbook. He was telling everybody what route they had to run all the time. And then he's got to get them up and, you know, then telling the, going over to the coach saying, Hey, let's run this play, you know? And, and, um, so he does have a very good understanding and he, he has solidified this game solidifies him as a, as a, I'm going to use a term alternative football kind of legend. I would say, um, I'm impressed by, how many 300 games he's bowled my dad's an avid bowler um and he he doesn't even have half as many as as louise has (laughs) and you know my dad's been bowling for you know you know probably 60 some years so uh that's impressive too but he played really well obviously he had a connection you know but that's going to wind up again in an nfl camp you know he's health if he's healthy and hopefully he stays healthy right Um, I thought they had just enough running game too. And they kind of spread that out a little bit. It was running back by committee a little bit more, but Luis played well. He got the ball downfield, which was my criticism, right? Like he pushed it downfield and he spread it out too a little bit. I mean, we finally, you know, there was a Geronimo Allison sighting finally, which is good. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, we'll see what he does this coming week, you know, but yeah, for the short term, I I think so on the flip side with the, with the guardians, Michael, you were right. Okay. The kid deserved a chance. Uh, You know, I'm going to, I'll tell you when I'm wrong, you know, I was telling you now, I don't think so. I think Paxton's the guy, Quentin Dormady, you know, has, you know, at least, assured himself another start. You know, he should start next week. He should get the start. Um, you, you know, you were the one calling for him after week one, you, you know, so there was something there to, to be said. Um, so I want to give you credit there for sure. What was different when Quentin, when Quentin Dormandy came in was, it was the speed that he went through his progressions. Um, it was the, the, how the ball got out of his hands quickly. And all of a sudden your offensive line doesn't look so bad because you've already eliminated two things pre-snap or at least one route pre-snap where you saw the movement coming and you know, to get off of it and you're on to the next one, that ball was coming out and he was going through those reads so quickly. Um, and I, that was impressive. And for everything that he went through here, you know, the, in the last few weeks which is a crazy story that's coming out that somebody made the story up about him giving, you know, plays away or whatever. I mean, who in their right mind would do that, first of all? Um, So if you're listening and you did that, that is that is an awful, you're an awful human being and um, you don't deserve to be in this league. (laughs) But Quentin, what he's gone through, basically, I don't know if he practiced with the team or not he was removed
0: from the roster initially and then put on like the unactive roster. So when you think about it, he wasn't even allowed to be at meetings and stuff until the league reinstated him. And to think about that, and I I don't mean to to cut into your time here, but also as he's reinstated, the team already had three quarterbacks because the team, the guardians had already gone out and got Quentin flowers. So just to look at this adversity, and it's not about being right. At this point, forget, forget that. Forget, you know, you know, I appreciate it. But to think that this kid's career was almost probably done. This was a stain on anybody that he can't be trusted, especially in the most crucial position in football, the quarterback position. If you can't be trusted with the playbook and the understanding of how you're attacking teams, this essentially would have ended his career. So, whoever did it, you're right, shame on them, they should not be allowed in football moving forward in my opinion again i'm not I don't know who it is and stuff and but it, not to get on that big of a soapbox there, but the reality is all the adversity, everything he'd be taken away. imagine what was going through his mind, whether he was willing to give up football at that point, whatever, or if not, great for him sticking through, paying attention, and just essentially turning that page because this team could have easily have already not cared, even if he got, you know, reinstated, be like they had, you know, once people's perception is made, it's tough to kind of change it that, you know, we talk about first impressions and whatnot. Yeah. He had his first impression, but once that happened, I don't know how he overcame it, but he did. And to me, that's more of a testament to him than anything else. And he had that run support, which I was talking about. He didn't have in Game One. He has that run support, which having Darrington also now in the mix, which they didn't have with him being healthy. There's a couple things here. They still lost, but the reality is, I look at this for the Guardians to even be in this. It's kind of crazy to think about the quarterback that came in to essentially keep them in it, and they were in it to the end. It's, right? I mean, like, so you look at it. This is pretty crazy. Pretty absurd of a situation a quarterback was in, but pretty crazy of how it actually played. The only way that would have made the story even better is if Dormany was able to get him there first, but unfortunately that did not. Happen.
1: Yeah. When, when he even went into the game, I was like, what's happening here? Like it, I thought he was basically the fourth quarterback at that time, you know, and, and for him to come in and do that is a, is a credit to him. Um, so I think he's earned, I I feel like he's earned a, at least another start. I, I think he's probably the, you know, he's shown that he's probably their best chance to win. I was surprised to see Shane Matthews calling plays. That was a change up. Um, you know, it was happening during the game and then he was up in the booth this time. So they're still trying to figure out like their operations even, but I was surprised that, um, because they showed uh coach Ford at one time and the play came out, he didn't he wasn't calling it. And then they were showing Shane Matthews in the in the booth, but he kept covering his mouth, right? And I was like, wait a minute, Shane Matthews is calling play. Why hasn't anybody noted this? Why wasn't I didn't read anything about it? I didn't hear about anything going in. So, you know, even for that change to happen uh, a little bit. So what I, I think what's happening, you know. Outside looking in, there's still some people that aren't agreeing in the room on who should be in, who shouldn't be in, and who you know, and, and what they should be doing. Now their receiving crew is outstanding, and they did a great job of, of spreading the ball around, you know, and really kind of getting everybody involved uh there. The problem with the guardians is when it came to pressure time, the Guardians were the Guardians, right? Two false start penalties, a sack, you end the game off of a runoff because of a penalty. And they're just shooting themselves in the foot, you know, over and over. Rod Woodson, too, on at the end of the game, got some things to learn about how to end a game and run the clock out and how to communicate with your coaches because he was like yeah go get the first down and then they threw the ball and he was like I didn't say throw it well did you tell him to run it because you got to be pretty specific in your communication otherwise offensive coordinators are going to do what they want to do and I didn't think it was a bad play at all I mean you're throwing it you're running it the box is packed you're one-on-one on the outside go for it see what happens so I didn't mind that but Apparently, Rod Woodson thought something else was going to happen. Well, you got to communicate that very clearly to them. Like, hey, let's run the ball here. So I think some new head coaches are still going through some growing pains. I think when it comes to the uh, former players, I think some of them thought it was going to be easier than this is. And you can see the stress on their face. And I think they probably have more of an appreciation now for who they played for than they ever will. But I think that this is a little bit harder and not, I thought they thought, Oh yeah, you come in, you kind of just, you know, make decisions. Well, well, you know, it's a lot harder than it looks. Let's see if, you know, I, I think, you know, Dormandy's earned a start and let's see if he gets it and he better. I mean, otherwise, what are we doing in, in Orlando land? You know, what are we doing? You know, if he doesn't. So, very entertaining game, though. A lot of points put up, a lot of back and forth. Each team had a chance to win it, but, you know, the Vipers come out ahead. Just, I think, because of the experience, too, that they have.
0: Well, right. They had plenty of talent. And, you know, I have been pretty open. Well, my thoughts on their roster initially going into years. year. So, yeah, I mean, they, it's not for lack of talent. They've got plenty of talent on the, on the team. It's really just going to come from coaching and uh and whatnot but even coach which had said he got his first victory but man he, you know he, he even he acknowledges a lot that needs to be still dissected and figured out moving forward but he's just happy to enjoy the win for the time being because there's still a lot of work so i mean at least he acknowledges that and not just on you know a one-off situation that he thought they're running the ball when they throw the ball uh on a fourth down so We'll move on to game four with the Arlington Renegades at the San Antonio Brahmas with the Renegades winning 12 to 10. Uh, Before we get going here too far, I will give you your props because you have said this multiple times. It only takes 12 points to touchdowns. You've said this a couple weeks in with Renegades games and they have done it on the second time. So let's give you your props when you deserve them. So here you go. But moving forward, with this game, Reed Sinit earned the star for the Brahmas. Coach Ward's plan was to play two quarterbacks with Jack Cohen get into the mix. However, Sinit's early exit due to injury provided more playing time for Cohen than expected. Unfortunately, the Brahmas offense was more productive with Sinit in there, who was 13 of 19 for 97 yards with the team's lone touchdown. I just kind of went on a whole rant here. So if you want to take your soapbox to take your praise for picking two times that the all it takes is 12 points, please do. Uh, But otherwise, what are your thoughts on this divisional matchup or this game?
1: Well, not to get ahead of us, but, you know, the preview for next week is the same game. So I think the, the over under will be set at 21, maybe 20, I think probably it's going to be ridiculously low. And, and it's going to be actually kind of uh, weird to, to see, but anyways, it was good to see Reed Sinek get an opportunity. Now I feel that he was making some, a lot of, a lot of short throws again, though, from this team, like just a lot of like Dinkin Duncan and not getting the ball downfield. And I thought, you know, Reed, the ball gets out quick. He makes quick decisions, but they were running basically almost like the same play over and over again. And so it's like, you just count the numbers and you're going to throw the screen, the, you know, the outside screen, or you're going to run this, or you're going to throw the, the one-on-one on on the backside if you have it. So there wasn't a lot of imagination really to the offense. And again, they can't get a running game going just because they're, they're offensive line. and, And they were, they were trying to do some things differently. As you, as you see, the run game has evolved from teams. You know, we, we saw a wide zone from from D.C. We've seen some, you know, some more pulling concepts, some pin and pulls and some traps on the tackles to slow down a pass rush. So we're, we're seeing more things like that. Right. Which is good because it should open things up, you know, more uh, in the passing game. But the Brahmins want to run the ball, but they just can't. And so they got to throw all these little passes and it's just not getting points on the this game was interesting because everybody's like, well, it's low scoring and the fence, well, both kept like getting like a first down or two and then they'd stall. You get a first down and then you'd stall, you know, or you get two first downs and you'd stall. Um, But uh, Bob Stoops being a veteran knew early on, you know, Hey, take the field goals, you know, this points are going to be precious Early on in some of these games, you know, coaches are passing up field goals to go for it on fourth down and, you know, in field goal range. He's smart enough to know that, you know, 12 points is going to win this thing. And their defense is is lights out. They are just playing so well. But, you know, the Brahma, again, the Brahma's offense is just, it sputters. And then, you know, Jack Cone did come in and he wasn't really very effective. I mean, it's it's hard to watch them on offense right now. I did like this though, from them, when Reed was in there at the beginning of the game, the tempo was good and they were moving the ball because of tempo, you know, they weren't huddling and things like that. Something the renegades might want to look at, you know, them huddling up and getting up there with six seconds on the play clock, isn't giving your quarterback any benefit. And then on the other side too, you know, Kyle, he's pressing, this might be his last chance to show out. And, you know, to, to get to the, you know, to the next level and you could see him making, trying to make some throws he shouldn't make because he wants to put up some numbers and, and do some things. And this offensive line is just not very good. <laughs> but, you know, I, they did have some, you know, they did get the running game going a little bit. You know, they got a little bit more creative there with, with Devion Smith and Kenneth Farrell, I thought was a nice little spark plug. I hope he's doing all right. But again, they're not really getting the ball downfield either. So it's hard to say. So both defenses are very good. Both offenses aren't very good. You know, so next week, you know, you're going to tune into probably the same score. Now, the Renegades need to try something different on offense, you know. And at least the Brahmas did. And unfortunately Reed got hurt and he, you know, I don't know what the severity of it. It was, we did see him on a boot in a boot. So a lot of times that means that I I feel like he may have broken a bone in his foot or fractured it or something. If you can't walk on that, that that's hard, but it was good to see him come in and do that. He would have earned another start. I think. If he would have stayed in the whole game. I mean, both these teams, they just can't get the ball down the field and they don't have the offensive lines to really pound pound people out, uh, you know, and and run away with the games on the ground. And they don't have playmakers on the outside. Neither of them really have playmakers on the outside, which so both of them decided to load up their teams on defense, and that's what you're seeing. And unfortunately, one team is winning with it and one team is not. So
0: yeah, we'll have to see what happens with uh we'll talk about the preview here of next week shortly. It's you know, you just look at it, it's kind of tough to really talk about a whole lot, you know. Yeah, quarterbacks plays just hasn't been great. So I mean, but somebody's gotta win a game, and maybe just being smart enough, like you said, to take the points when there's an opportunity is presented to you, is obviously not just a veteran move. That seems to be so common sense, but it's all points. Yeah, he, he knows he's a low-scoring team. So take the points, however you can get the points. Unfortunately, the other side did not recognize that as the uh, opportunity or the opportunity to potentially win a game is just get whatever you can get. And, uh, well, anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Because we have these previews with game four in the books, though so it is the first half of the season is in the books. As we approach the second half, there's several of teams that are in the must improve. And they had to string some victories together if they're gonna keep their hopes alive of the postseason, if that dream is to become a reality. So looking ahead. Here for week six. We have game one. We have the three and two Seattle Sea Dragons at the zero and five Orlando Guardians. One team is trending up. One team, well, maybe it's slightly trend up last week, but no, we got we got a battle here in the Sunshine State. Just how much of a battle do you anticipate?
1: I think we're gonna be surprised, but you know, I think Seattle still wins. Uh, you know, but this is an important game for the league okay so maybe i'm wishful thinking that this is going to be a good game and competitive and high scoring uh, because it's taking a noon slot central time on abc on a saturday so this is an important game for the league just to see if you know people will tune in and stay tuned in but you know at the end of the day seattle's defensive front's going to be too much for Orlando's offensive line. You know, I'm I'm hoping like we said, you know, Dormandy has earned a st- you know, a start and if he can get rid of the ball like he did but also every once in a while get it downfield and he was able to do that, you know, against the Vipers. He trusted some guys to go up and make some plays and he's got those guys to do it. You know, so we'll see. I'm thinking it's you know going to be close until the fourth quarter, and then you know Orlando will make a couple mistakes, and and I think Seattle pulls it out by a couple, at you least know, twelve points. Um, but I think for three quarters, Orlando's going to hang on because they're, they they want to win too. You know they're pushing, they're, they they want to get their win. They don't care who they're playing right now. They just they're going to let it out there, you know, and and that's what they should do. So this will be interesting to see you know, like I said, if for Seattle to continue to improve, you know, Danucci just needs to stop turning the ball over and they'll, and they'll be fine. So, you know, let's give Orlando a little bit more credit. I think they've played a couple of close games against some teams here lately and they've been able to put some points on the board and it's just, Hey, can they stop Seattle and can they not shoot themselves in the foot? Right. Um, So we'll see, you know, but I think, like I said, at the end of the day, Seattle's going to be the better team overall. But I'm—I think through three quarters, I think uh, you know the Guardians stick with them a little bit.
0: So I'll jump right to talk about playoffs. Right, I believe it was the XFL analyst that posted that it was XFL Zone, another account. It already dug into the elimination aspect for the guardians here. Okay. So we're talking playoffs. I know this is going to be absurd that some people are going to go back to that former Colts coach. Who was at Erickson? That's at playoffs playoffs? We're talking playoffs, but well, we're going to talk essentially <laughs> what it's going to take here. The guardians are in a must win. This is it coach Buckley. This is your must win situation because if you lose this game, and Arlington wins, it's over. It's over. Okay. So if you are not starting Quentin Dormity, Coach Buckley, you did not care to have a shot at the playoffs. I'm going to put this out there. This is as bold as it gets for me. Okay. And I'm not trying to get on a super high soapbox. I'm just, I'm trying to keep it real right now. If Quentin Dormity, after the performance he just put together, after all the adversity he had went through in the team, and they have strung together some production. I know you're going to shoot yourself in the foot, Guardians. You can't help it. It's going to happen. But if you shoot yourself in the foot and not play Quentin Dormady, you didn't deserve it. You have to win this game. This is it. It's it's for everything at this point. Forget about week seven and on. It This is your season. To put all the pressure, and it's at home. This is it. I mean, there's no more X's and O's to talk about. If you do not start quitting dormity, you didn't care to win. You don't care. Just, that, that's and I'm not trying to act like he's a savior. Just saying, he's your only shot. That's how I'm looking at it right now. He's the only shot.
1: Not only that, it's on national TV. So if you don't want to get embarrassed there too, uh, you know, let that go. You know, I, I I I always say it. The guy, the guys in the locker room know who should be starting. Okay. And after they watched film and they saw how quickly that those reads were coming and how quickly that ball was coming out, uh, you know, I think they were like, okay, yeah, this guy's probably should be starting right now. So I agree with you. If he does not start him, I don't know what's going on in Orlando. And frankly, I don't I don't think he'll be back next year if he doesn't start him because he's not he's making terrible decisions then as a head coach. You need a spark, he, he provided that. Give him another shot. It may work. It may not work, but wh- what else do you got to lose right now? So I think you got to give him a shot.
0: And I, I can't witness, and I'll, I'll be in the stand, so maybe I won't witness this, but when he turned on TV, did you, did you catch the part last game where he turned on? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone see anything? Like think he was looking for a reason to challenge. Anybody see anything? Are you waiting for a towel boy or the water boy to tell you something? Like, come on, come on have a little bit more of a clue as a head coach. Take Take a look at something. Again, dormity is is the can't miss opportunity. But pay a little bit closer attention to the game and don't be looking to anybody because I don't know if you recall him turn around anybody see anything anybody that seemed a little too open for a head coach for me like he was he wanted to challenge it but he didn't want it to be on his own decision it was like okay towel boy all right now I'll challenge it if you're saying so I'm gonna go I mean that's the vibe that I totally got I'm I'm bagging on him a little bit I am I get it. And, and, and I'm a Buckley guy. I met him in person and I even told him, Hey, this is a special treat. Well, you know, man, Buckley, come on. All right. I, I don't want to back out him too much more. Uh, well, just... but it,
1: it's, it's hard not to, and, and the argument, and there's some parallels between another league and another coach that we, we saw them were going through, whether it's playbook gate or pizza gate or whatever it is, like those happen around poorly managed and poorly prepared teams. And that's a reflection of leadership. And and it's unfortunate that I have to say that, but I'm going to say it, but you know, let's see if he can go out there and see if he can fix it. Now, if he can go and fix it and win two games this year, I'm telling you what, then he deserves another chance because he was willing to go and fix it. But then he needs to overhaul his roster too. He needs to bring in like everybody other than the receiving core, and and maybe some people on defense I would be bringing in a whole new whole new group including coaches so um just to get a fresh start you need a whole new fresh start so but you know like you said let's we'll save that for another time
0: maybe self reflection be honest with yourself and with the, those in the room and just make the changes that have to be made it it is what it is okay moving on to game 2 we have the 3 and 2 St. Louis Battlehawks at the one in four Vegas Vipers. You know, another matchup here in Sin City. Uh, We won't have many more games at Cashman Field, but what, what are you anticipating? Now the Vipers have a win under their belt. Maybe now Woodson's acknowledging that he wanted something more out of that fourth down play and realized he didn't say enough, as you mentioned Maybe he'll get himself a little bit more involved in making it clear as to what they want. Perez had a heck of a game. There's a heck of a connection with Bidet. And, you know, the Battlehawks just lost at home and are two games to their, their new rival. Let's keep it real. So, I mean, what are you anticipating? I can't. One's on a high, one just got kind of embarrassed. A, I say a little embarrassed, but they clearly now don't have the tiebreaker going into the playoffs if if that's the case. So what do you think it it happens
1: in Cincinnati here? This one could be closer than we think, right? I mean, everybody thinks Vegas is a little bit better than what their records show. Um, I'm not quite sure if they are because, you know, they went toe-for-toe with the Guardians or that they let the Guardians go toe-to-toe with them. Um, But, you know, so this one could be a little closer than we think. You know, playing out on the road, playing in Cashman after being home back to back, you know, might be a little bit of a reality check. <laughs> I think we got about two games left at Cashman Field for ever for XFL football. Because uh, if they go back to this, they they they're out of their mind. Um, but I think this one's a little bit closer. I think you see, you know, I think you'll see the Vipers play hard. Uh, to to stay in it, you know, and try and make something out of the second half of the season. I don't think, you know, it it's going to be up to to Luis Luis Perez though. Can he have another game like he had? Um, you know, he he tends to not string too many games together like that. Uh, but you know, maybe he does now and and gets hot. I think AJ is going to have something to prove. And I think the team will have something to prove. And I think they they've got good leadership there to where they'll they'll figure things out. They've got enough, you know, with with Becht and with Prol and and everything. I feel like they just they they can keep things together a little bit more when so the wheels aren't going to fall off. Um, I, the Battle Hawks are the better team, I, in my opinion, in this one. But you know, if Vegas wants to keep pace and and keep their head above water for the season they're going to need this one but at the end i still think that the battle hawks you know come out with a win don't be surprised if it's a fourth quarter win again uh they they may just do that again but we'll see but yeah i don't you know i don't see anything really gene too much in these games now right other than maybe you know hunley getting a little bit of playing time if if perez struggles I mean he's always going to be on that short leash he's he always is right you know he's always that guy that they're ready to pull and put somebody else in but then he performs so it'll be a good competitive game and hopefully the game will overshadow the uh the facility and the lack of fans
0: I think uh, I'm gonna be surprised this time around I do think the vipers talent at some point and all it takes is A little bit of uh, assurance and maybe this game was just enough assurance for this you know veteran leadership on this team to get this other younger talent to kind of buy into what they've been trying to say maybe there's just been a little bit of something in in the you know the locker room maybe this is what they needed offensively you know with a change of who's calling plays and and stuff maybe it took a couple weeks I you know things all all changes just don't fix everything overnight. So maybe we're going to start seeing a different team from the Vipers. I'm not saying just because they won. I'm just saying because there has been some changes, whether it be quarterback. And, you know, they, they started out hot in game one. So it's not like they were a complete mess when they started off the season. There's there's some things to look here. And in games that they haven't been completely blown out. So they haven't been the Guardians, right? As far as being that team that started out 0-4. So maybe there is something here. And knowing that St. Louis is a little slow getting out of the gate. Right? This is it just who they've been. And knowing that they're kind of that team that's always looking to make a late game, you know, push to get back into it. Maybe that's just enough to keep building this positive vibe, this you know, self-belief for the Vipers early on. And if that happens, and they can string another, you know, solid day of offense production, I'm not saying Louis Burris is going to throw another three touchdowns and whatnot, but it could just be enough. And if that's the case, and Hundley can save his hamstring for another day, I think we're going to have a game. And I'm not saying that I think the Vipers are going to pull it out, but I unfortunately think there is an upset an upset here in the in the making potentially. And I think this is where Coach Beck and the Battle Hawks need to be on notice, so to speak. I think they need to not only look to bounce back from their loss, I think they need to make sure it's not two in a row. That's what I think they need to really focus on here. And it's not so much X's and O's. I do think that things happen in pairs, in threes and stuff, and sometimes you got to acknowledge that and be ahead of it. So I think they need to dig a little bit deeper, the Battlehawks, or I think they might come home empty-handed with this one. That's, just, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not guaranteeing it, but I, I think this is a potential upset in the making.
1: And, and it could be. And and like you said, Vegas has shown to be competitive, right? So could very well turn the other way. Um, I just think the Battlehawks are, are a little bit better of a team and, and and we'll pull it out but i do think it's going to be competitive like you like you mentioned as well
0: okay so moving on to game 3 we have the 1 and 3 San Antonio Brahmas at the 3 and 2 Arlington Renegades we got the back to back rematch for the divisional foes and as i had previously mentioned if arlington wins this game arlington has eliminated at least the guardians it, but if they also do that, they've also put the Brahmas in a heck of position moving forward. So I I think the Brahmas have a serious week of self-reflection that they need to do and dig deep and figure out a couple of things. I know they want to run the ball. I know you know Reed's in a boot. I mean, there's they're going to have to really dig deep and figure out a new game plan. And I know Heinz Ward has been a pretty positive guy but i'm seeing a lot of blank stares in that man's face on that sideline like you had mentioned they probably thought this was gonna be easier than they thought it was gonna be they probably anybody can look at somebody else and i can do that guy's job that looks easy well (laughs) here you are you're several games in at some point changes need to be made are you making the changes that we've already seen in vegas are you seeing the changes that we're seeing in orlando with people making some some differences and now we know that they've already changed the play calling right they moved away from the offensive coordinator making calling the plays there but what other changes are you willing to make or is that change enough and it just takes week a second week of it to kind of see it come to fruition what, what are you thinking here
1: well like i mentioned i think the the over under will be around 2022 which is a disappointment and at a three o'clock game on a Sunday or what is it? Three o'clock or two o'clock central game on ABC. I wish they would have had the roughnecks and the <laughs> DC uh, on at this, this time slot instead. But uh, I think you're going to see a lot of what you just saw. I don't think you're going to see anything different. I think you're going to see Jack Cohn struggle again against a very good defense Reed, I don't know if Reed's the Nets even going to be able to play. Uh, you know, the way that looked, I don't, I just don't see it and being effective because there's a lot of pressure that's on that foot. You know, obviously if you've ever had a foot injury or had anything, you know, so I, I don't think you're going to see anything different. The only thing different that can happen is the Brahmas, you know, kick a couple more field goals and and whoever misses their field goals and makes their field goals may Win this game. Heinz Ward is one of them that, like him and Rod Woodson. We know Terrell Buckley stressed out, and and Rod Woodson looked very stressed out this week, and Heinz Ward started to look stressed out. I just, you know, when when you when we had the talk about experience, right? Does it matter if you have head coaching experience or not? I hate to tell you, it does, and I think the league. Probably should have leaned a little, you know, this is hindsight, 100% hindsight. And I understand why they went with these guys, but they probably should have went with, you know, guys that had head coaching experience at some level, at least a college level, right? Um, I'm not saying division three, I'm saying big time college where you have the pressure on you or you're going to get fired, right? Because they are looking a little overwhelmed. Bob Stoops is out there just having fun. You know, he's getting on guys, cheering guys on when he has to. He knows what's going on. He trusts the Hayes and Hayes, you know, connection there. Um, I still think Chuck Long should be calling the plays because I just can't stand the Roughnecks offense. But they got no offensive line and no playmakers. So what do you, you know, all you can do is throw the ball to Sam Canelo so many times, right? And, And that's what, you know, Kyle's trying to do. So I, I think you're going to see a, a low-scoring game. I think you're going to see what you saw, though, this past week, right? You know, the teams will get a couple first downs and then have to punt, and then they'll get a first down, and then, you know, they'll punt, you know. And then it's going to be a field position game. Uh, but, you know, for the Brahmas, it is, to me, this is an elimination game for them because if they lose this one, they're not catching, you know, Houston, and they're not going to, you know, the Renegades are going to run away with second place there unless they completely collapse. And, uh, you know, I don't think the Brahmas can catch them. So they need to win this game, uh, especially when you play a team back to back, which is very hard to do. It's happened though. Right. It happens in the NFL and playoff situations. Um, you wind up with either, the, you know, you kind of wind up with the same result a lot of times, but, you know, we'll see. I just don't think you're going to see much excitement. You're going to see a lot of field goals and punting. And we'll see if, um, you know, King the punter can, you know, down his own punt again, uh, you know, which was, you know, great situational football in his mind because he knew that ball wasn't going to be returned. So he didn't have to be the safety, you know, he knew he could run down there and try and, and try and pin it. And it was a great, you know, great play by by a character, definitely a character there. But yeah, I don't think you're going to see much different than what you saw this week. So uh, unfortunately,
0: yeah i I'm hoping it's a little bit higher scoring. I know you're talking about the over under and whatnot, and I'm not trying to say like high high score. I'm just thinking that if the Brahmas could actually take it a little bit serious and take the three points when three points is presented to them, and I'm not saying you're going to make the field goal, but you got to at least take the shot at it. It could just be enough to also push the Renegades to do a little bit more. And I know Slaughter's already taken, you know, some chances and it's not necessarily working out for the Renegades, but it might just help open up the game a little bit more. And I'm not hopeful that we're going to see anybody score 20 points, but if we can get somebody in the 15 to 18 range, you know, I, I know it's asking for a lot, but hopefully these teams have now seen enough of each other where they're finding some of the openings and it just helps the offense just enough. And we know that as each week goes on, these offenses hopefully build a little bit more chemistry and these, the edge that the defenses had will hopefully not be as significant. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little hopeful. I, but I agree with you. It's, this is not going to be anything too exciting to watch. It's kind of, it is what it is, but we have one more, the last one of the week, game four. The 4-1 Houston Roughnecks at the 5-0 DC Defenders. It's almost fitting that it's the last game of the week. The game of the week, so to speak. You know, the nation's capital. This is probably, you know, another road trip for the Roughnecks. Are they up for it? Because this is another swing across to the other coast. Are they up for and ready to bounce back from their loss. Cause again, this is a non-divisional game. It's hard to believe, but is DC also facing a solid defense that they quite haven't seen yet? And yeah, that is... offense, they might need a little bit more of the pass game in this situation. So I, I'm just kind of, I'm trying to look for where the opportunities are for Houston because, uh, this seems like DC might need to be a little bit more focused on, on the past game this time around.
1: Yeah, this one's going to be a great coaching matchup. I think too. Um, just the X's and O's here are going to be interesting to see because, you know, what does AJ Smith do against Greg Williams defense and what does, you know, Greg Williams do then against them. And then also the, the other way around Fred case, what's he's going to do, you know, with uh Wade Phillips and uh his defense coordinator's defense there you got two very good teams i mean this this could possibly be a preview to the championship game in in week 6 here which is kind of fun and kind of cool uh dc i think i think there is a little bit of a home field advantage in in dc i think um i don't know what type of crowd they're going to get night but I would think it'd be, you know, pretty what they've been averaging. I don't think they're going to, you know, fill the place or anything, but it'll be, it'll be loud. And I think, you know, the stadium's kind of one of the smaller ones they play in other than Cashman. Let's not even get started there, but so the noise might level might be a little bit more and you can kind of feel the crowd a little bit more. Now I know 35,000 fans in a dome that you can feel too a little bit, but now it's on DC's side. So this is going to be a great clash. Um, I think you're going to see a heavyweight bout here. I think you're going to see teams go back and forth. And typically when they do and you have good teams going up against each other, they score points. Um, And so I, I wouldn't doubt that this one gets up into, you know, about whether it's 28 to 25 or something like that. But again, here, points are going to matter. So take them early. Conversions are going to matter. You know, make sure you're making those, uh but this one's going to be a heavyweight bout because I want to see how Greg, uh, Greg Williams defends, you know, DC's offense. Like he's, you know, he's done really well so far, but he hasn't faced the, the RPO stuff, right? He hasn't faced this type of running attack and, um and what they can do. So. This is going to be a heck of a game. And and if Brandon Silvers bounces back now, Brandon, I'm going to tell you, your, your delivery is getting long. Okay. He needs to, sh- you know, your best when your delivery is shortened up. So work on your fundamentals this week, focus a little bit more on cleaning those up. You're dropping the ball a little bit and getting long with your arm on the delivery in my ass, in my opinion. And it's, it's slowing the ball coming out. Um, so you know, if you listen to, you know, if he listens to this, quicken that up a little bit, work on some, you know, do some extra work on fundamentals and make sure your feet are in the right spot. And also that you're throwing on the run. Well, because you will see blitzes that you haven't seen, you know, but I think the chess match is going to be great. We, we, we've got what we feel is one of the best OCs against one of the best DCs and, you know, vice versa. So this is the game of the week. And, Hopefully, uh, you know, on Monday night, people tune into it. You know, I hope, uh, you know, I hope it gets a good rating and I hope it gets a good crowd because it it should be a hell of a ball game.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think at some point, you know, the the run game to see another 200-yard output by Abram Smith is probably just, you know, out of the picture here, folks. But I also just can't see that Tom, who is not going to be a little bit more productive and he's not going to have another 90 yard outing. So, I mean, at some point I think something has got to shift. I think it's gotta be a little bit more balanced, but you know, it's going to be interesting because guy like silvers, a guy like AJ are, are up against a heck of a defense and you know, it's coming at you. So now how are you going to address that? Right. You kind of had your wake up call. You didn't win. You had a fourteen point output the week before. You've been used to just putting points on the board. Well, okay, this one's gonna be tough. If you just put up 14 points in in Seattle, what are you gonna do in DC? So I anticipate them bouncing back. I just don't know if that turns into a victory because you know it, it's tough at this point because again, one team's on a roll, and they're doing it without the passing game. So at some point, is it that they're just that good and they don't need the passing game, or is it that they have been doing this despite, which is tough because a lot of people think that the North Division is a tougher division, so they've been rolling in a way. So I don't know. You know, I anticipate a very good game, probably a high-scoring game, even though there's solid defenses. But maybe we get another slow, low scoring game, and it'd be tough to, to swallow. I, I can't believe that's the case. I know it's with solid defense, but maybe that's what we get. And uh it'll kind of be a, a shocker for all that are viewing. But I, I you know, I don't know. I, I I think this is probably DC's deluxe. So what makes DC difficult right
1: now to defend is They kind of go with the hot hand, right? They've beaten people different ways, whether it's, you know, whether it's been with Jordan's legs, whether it's been with Derek King's legs, right, in the rain. Um, And then they beat him with Abram Smith, you know, and then, you know, against the the Battle Hawks in the first game, Jordan made some throws downfield that were big, you know, um, to push the ball downfield. So they have multiple ways to beat you. So yeah, we're not gonna. We may not see a 200 yard performance out of Abram Smith, but we may see them run for 200 yards just all collectively. And they will, you know, and they kind of stay with the hot hand. All of a sudden, if Jordan's running it well, he'll keep running. They'll keep running that. Uh, If he's throwing the ball well off the RPOs, they'll keep running that. If Abram's running well, they'll keep running that. So they they can kind of beat you different ways. And I think that's what's made their offense so prolific in the, in the ground game. And like I said, if Jordan can make a couple throws over the top to make you, which he's going to have to do in this game, because Greg Williams can bring the house. If he makes those throws, you know, it's going to be hard to beat them. Yeah. I think you're, you're right. I think they are hot right now, but we thought the same thing about, you know, Houston before they met Seattle. So, I think you got two good football teams, and and you're going to see, you know, two good coaching staffs and two good teams really play. I mean, I mean, so far this would be the game of the year, coming up to it because it's the uh, we know that they're the two best teams from both divisions. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a good game, and I I think it's going to be a, I think the playmakers will make plays, and I think they'll put up enough points to, to you know. Be respectful. This isn't going to be a, a, an Arlington Renegades game. This won't be that.
0: There's one last thing I want to share about this game, okay? I know we talk about self-inflicted wounds for other teams. The defenders have actually you no, know, the defense is is solid obviously, but they have benefited from turnovers of other teams. And, and it's In part because of how good that defense is. However, if the roughnecks are able to protect the ball and seriously minimize any mistakes, that could sway it right here. This could be the one thing because we've seen like the two games McCarron, whether he throws a pick, whether it's lost fumble, right? Whatever those little things, those are two games that the battlehogs had against the defenders. If somebody like Silvers and whenever McDonald comes in, They do not turn the ball over if they can focus and take care of what they got to do. That might just be enough to sway it because uh, that's something that we've seen the defenders, whether we call it takeaways or whatever we want to call it, they have benefited by, you know, reducing drives or scoring points defensively when they have. So, I mean, like it comes to a point like that could be the key here. If you turn the ball over, it just falls right back in the D.C.'s lap. It's what they do. It's business as usual. But if you can keep your team from doing so, that might be what it takes to beat the D.C. defenders. you just going to have to play a perfect offensive game and not turn the ball over. I mean, it seems obvious, but I think that might be it. That might just be what it
1: takes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, both teams are good enough to overcome one or two mistakes. So, and, and it's going to be where are those mistakes? Not every turnover is created equally, right? Like if, you, if you're going in for a score and you turn the ball over and the other team has to go 99 yards, that one's different than if you turn the ball over on your own one-yard line, right? So – Turnovers, you know, they can happen, but it's also going to be like, where do they happen, and are points scored off of those turnovers, and and that's the key, right? Because yeah, you turn the ball over, going, you know, and and stop them, you know, like Seattle did, you're fine. I I'm, my point is is, you know, if you're watching a game, don't an early is, you know, don't worry about that. It's when you start stringing, you know, three or four of them together things like that but these teams are too good i think um i think kirkland will get back into the mix a little bit uh with with the rough next two i think um you know he was pretty much shut down uh this past week so they'll find ways to get him the ball uh you know every matchup's different this could be the one type of matchup that greg williams just has fits with you know, there's always that one team and one type of offense or one coach that you have fits with, and and this could be it. So, but we'll see. It's going to be a great matchup, though. And you know, when it comes down to who's making the least amount of mistakes, you know, it's pretty evenly matched.
0: Well, that's the last preview for Week Six. Mark is always it's a pleasure. Love talking to you. Love getting your feedback and your your thoughts. So, uh, you know, you're became a staple, you're continuing to be a staple and we got a few more weeks ahead of us. I don't know if you want to keep putting your social media out there. You don't have to talk about it too much, but Hey, hopefully it's not too bad for you.
1: So, yeah, if you want to, you know, reach me or follow me, uh, you know, the best place is Twitter. It's at Mark underscore Hallbach. That's M-A-R-K underscore H-A-L-B-A-C-H. Uh, you know, follow me every once in a while, I'll tweet out during the games, but like I said, I don't tweet during the games too often. Number one, uh, because I want to focus on the games and don't really want to. I do like a lot of stuff though during the games. Like, um, and then number two, sometimes I'm not watching the games live. <laughs> sometimes I gotta tape them. Um, you know, I got a family, so I record them. Did I just use the term tape? That shows you how old I am. Um, I, I record them or get them, you know, get them through streaming services as well. But, um, I try to watch them live if we can, and we're not doing anything, but, you know, sometimes, you know, life gets in the way here a little bit, but I make sure I watch all of them front to back. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, Mike Michael, and, uh, we'll continue to do this here. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope people are getting some type of insight a little bit, at least. All
0: right. Thank you, Mark. Another week of games. More solid analysis from Mark. Fortunately, I was able to contribute this week. Now that the first half of the season is in the books, it is go time for teams. Games should be very interesting for the next couple of weeks, and the playoff picture will become more clear. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863 Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retro's by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, for 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.